بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم إمام فؤاد وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته How are you doing, Habibi? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. Uh, to be honest, it's uh, really nice to hear your voice again. It's been quite some time. Yeah, subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah, it's good to you know reconnect with you and continue our conversations. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's funny because uh, I noticed that in in talking to you over the phone, you know, in the last couple of days, mm. there were so many things, so many questions I wanted to ask, so many things I wanted to ask, but I felt it's it's nicer to hear them for the first time or ask them for the first time uh you know in this uh recording as well because we had been planning to record this yeah. um but uh but tell me it's been i think now uh some time but let's i guess you know dive into some of the things how are you doing with uh first and foremost you and your family with covid and everything that's taking place these days you know alhamdulillah we're trying our best to you know survive and just you know get used to you know this this new normal of ours you know this life mm-hmm. that this is this is everybody now you know we don't really have a choice uh when when it comes to covid we have to readjust our lives and you know we're still trying to get used to that you know that life of uh being home all the time and you know not really having a lot of things to do uh so that's how you know it's been you know for me and my family alhamdulillah it's it's you know it's really a blessing uh this is an opportunity that uh, if we now you know we stay away from looking at covid and look at the blessings that it brings. These are things, you know, spending time with our family, uh, you know, being able to teach your children, uh, being able to, you know, spend a lot of time, uh, go to the park with them, do all of these things. These are not really things that a lot of people, uh, you know, are able to take advantage of if COVID wasn't here. So, mm-hmm. you know, alhamdulillah, uh, we've gone to the point where we realize that, you know, even though this is, you know, something that's very hard, it has its, uh, the blessings come with it. You know, the, the silver linings are still there. How are you and your family with it? Alhamdulillah, you know, as you're as you're sharing this, it's a sentiment that I've been feeling myself. Uh, Alhamdulillah, on a personal level, it it has created more opportunities for me to spend time with my family, with my son in particular. Uh, we've taken more bike rides than we've taken in a number of years combined. You know, a few months, and uh, so in in some ways, and I recognize this is not the same experience everyone's having. So there's there's definitely that recognition of, you know, alhamdulillah, we have, you know, opportunities to maybe work remotely or continue with uh, uh, with our careers, et cetera. And of course, that's not, uh, that's not the general experience. The majority of people are not having this exact experience, neither in the U.S. nor worldwide. Uh, I thought there was something unique here, which is everyone I've talked to has really recognized the blessings. And then I wondered, like, is this just a Muslim thing? Like, do maybe just Muslims are more optimistic or, or we tend to, you know, say Alhamdulillah a lot with whatever's going on, any challenges. And to some extent, in my opinion, I think, yes, you know, uh, I think Muslims are always trying to look at uh, things optimistically because, of course, we, be, we believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. And he put us in these situations for a reason. So whether it's whether it's actually... You know, it's whether it's freed us up or created a healthier lifestyle for us, that's also a test for us. Or if it's put us in some type of financial or, or hardship in terms of health or otherwise, it's also a test. Mm-hmm. But really, I think that most people um, or many people, I shouldn't say most, but many people seem to be recognizing that the change of pace um, was mm-hmm. something that they hadn't 
had the opportunity to think about before. And now that they're experiencing that change of pace, um, they're appreciating that maybe there's a little more to life or parts of life that we hadn't really been valuing in the same way. Yeah, subhanAllah. I think like it, it's very true. You know, this is uh, when you don't have, you know, the things that used to hold you down uh, from the things you wanted to do before. This is really like free time. Is it, It's really a blessing. You know, I know that uh, there's some people that, uh, you know, this is this is a time that they're worrying about, you know, how are they going to, uh, you know, take care of their families, what's going to happen with their finances and, you know, all of these things. But as Muslims, alhamdulillah, we know that whether the job is there or not, we know that at the end of the day, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to take care of us. You know, and this is not to say that, uh, you know, we don't worry. You know, we do have, you know, there's times where, you know, you start scratching your head and you're like, you know, what's really going to happen when you, you know, think, you know, far down the road, like how long we're going to be in this. But then, you know, that thought that Allah, you know, has been there and he's going to be there, whether it's COVID or not, you know, it, it may, it, it's, it's reassuring. You know, this is really mm-hmm. our life is, is going to change from this and it's going to go back to the way that it was. If not fully, you know, some aspects of it is going to return. So just having that and knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, these are all tests, whether it's the blessings that we get or whether it's the, uh, you know, the things that we think are hard. These are tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, for the believers, it's going to come and pass. But for everybody else, I feel like this is really a time for, uh, you know, people to discover who they are. You know, this is um, majority of the time we're put in these, you know, that like, our lives are, you know, pretty much similar. You know, you go from uh, growing up in the West is you go to school. After school, you get a job. After the job, you get a family. You know, mm. you're always moving from these things where sometimes, you know, while you're doing it, you're not, there's no self-assessment or seeing where you're going and, you know, how you as a person uh, is developing. So what happens is that now with all of this free time, you can, you know, take a, you know, take a step back and just, see who you are and realize mm-hmm. the things that you're able to do. Yeah, this is, you know, you mentioned something here, which is you said about how things would change. And and uh, I've heard now from different people across different industries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tech professionals to uh, medical professionals, to people in, in the business, on the business side of things, people even on the kind of academic side of things, even the, you know, from other viewpoints. But uh, it feels like there is a lot of recognition that things are changing somewhat permanently. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the changes that are taking place we, we likely there there is no there is nothing to really go back to. Yeah, there is a there is a sort of maybe at some point with uh, and I and I heard this recently from someone who's in the medical field. They said that the vaccine is important, but it's it's also just as important, or if not more important, that there is actually a a, a remedy or some sort of um, for the people who get sick there needs to be some way to, uh, you know, improve their condition. And so these two aspects um, are going to, when this comes about, I think there'll be a little bit more stability in, in how the virus is spreading or maybe how it's impacting people. But in terms of the, the changes in life, and I guess I wanted to ask you, it feels that there's some there are some aspects of life that have changed significantly, right? Like you and I are probably from a generation 
we remember certain things about life that are just different now our children definitely won't understand that Mm -hmm. you know if we describe to our children how we grew up and what that experience was Mm -hmm. and it i I think this is this is somewhat true over throughout generations but maybe in the last 20 30 40 years Mm -hmm. especially with the internet revolution and mobile devices feels like the pace of change of life has has become really fast so i wonder in your in your opinion do you think life is always changing and we're just not paying attention to it or is there really something different with what's happening this year so i mean for sure life is always changing but the difference is before uh, the pace of change was is not fast it's you know you, you get used to how things are becoming um, you know, right now, uh, I'm taking some classes at uh, the University of Washington. And I remember when, you know, after high school, uh, I was studying online, like using online system for, you know, doing your assignments and, and doing, you know, homework and listening to lectures on there. It was in the beginning. So we could say, you know, it was in the infancy of it. And because it came, you know, gradually, we by the time that it, it was fully part of the curriculum, it was, you know, you already knew what it was and you already prepared yourself for it. This time, this year, so many things had to change right away. There was no time, to, you know, to readjust. Imagine, you know, how many people now that, you know, they thought their jobs could never go remote. Mm-hmm. Many of their jobs just one day, you know, the governors came out and they made their stay-at-home orders. All of mm-hmm. that had to change. There was no more going to the, uh, to the office to do work anymore. And it stayed mm-hmm. like that for, you know, three, four months. But for someone that, you know, might have been working a couple of days, you know, at the office, a couple of days at the house, at home, then it, it the change wouldn't have seemed big. But for someone that's five days, he's in the office, you know, he's meeting people and he's doing all of these things. One day he wakes up and he can't go to the office. You know, this is really hard to adjust to. And then you notice the change much faster than if it came gradually. And this is just, you know, how life really is, right? Changes that happen quickly. Uh, you don't really have time to adjust to them. Uh, you have to figure it out as you're going. So right now, like taking online classes, even though they've been around, you know, the online classes have been around for you know some time now. I remember like 2010, we used to take online classes. Now having to take every single class online, it's so different, and it's it it's very like complicated, you know. So it becomes. Uh, I don't think I've went to a single class now, right? All I do is the recorded lectures are there. You listen to it and you do the assignments. Right. And going forward, am I like, where are we going to go? Are we going to go back to, you know, uh, going going back to school, having, the, you know, the classrooms and then only having, you know, online part of the time when it's so much easier to do things online? Mm-hmm. So, like... Right now, I don't know how uh, schools are going to be in, uh, in uh, you know, uh, Northern California. Here, uh, fall, uh, fall semester, we're having it online. And then most likely, hmm. the ones that follow that too. So, you know, the change is just, it's, it's so fast that we didn't have right. time to, you know, get used to it. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's an interesting aspect. And I think uh, for many of us, some of us enjoy that change. And this is something they, when they do research and talk about how technology is adopted, even not, not only technology, it's just 
new products, new, uh, you know, services that are created, yeah. there is a curve, you know, there's a sort of like a, a curve that uh, trails off uh, to the left in a sense. Whereas at the front end, there's a smaller number, maybe it trails off on both ends. There's always a smaller number of people that are ready to move and enjoy that change. And they actually seek it out. You know, they, yeah. they don't like to be always driving the same car or living the same type of experience. They always like to change things up. Mm -hmm. So they enjoy that. Then there's the middle group of people where it takes them time, but the majority of them will kind of catch up and, and uh, you know, adopt something new yeah. um, in this curve. And then there's always a trailing end of takes time for people. Some people just are really, you know, have anxiety around the changes that happen in their life or mm -hmm. really like things to be the way they are. Um, and I wonder some of it also might have to do with, uh, with age as well. I'm sure mm -hmm. there's components of psychology. Others are components of age. Mm -hmm. the, I heard something recently, which was very fascinating. Um, I heard it for the first time uh, from a particular individual. His name is actually, uh, I think it's jo Joshua or Joshua Bach. Mm. He's a VP of research at the AI Foundation. Mm. And he was on a podcast and among many things that he talked about, he said he has an idea um, or he said he mentioned something about dreams. And he mentioned that children have more creative dreams because their experience in the world is not restricted. Mm. Um, learned all the rules or had so much life experience that things are very rigid for them. Mm. Um, whereas, whereas adults tend not to have the same type of, you know, imaginative dreams. And maybe even as an example, I know I have a young nephew and there's an age range where kids sometimes at a certain age, they start to play on their own, yeah. but, but they tend to have a very, you know, imaginative play experience, mm -hmm. the stories they make up, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so I wonder that the age component might be an aspect of it as well. You know, al along with COVID, uh, one of the things I was, I was hoping to ask you about as well was how has the experience been up there for you in regards to the recent protests against police brutality, the, the demonstrations that are taking place uh, to reform the criminal justice system and the policing system. Um, what has that experience been like for you guys? Man, you know, um, right now we live in, uh, you know, some very, you know, very hard times mm -hmm. and, Protests are happening almost every day. Um, I don't live, I mean, I, I don't live in, you know, like downtown Seattle. Uh, I live about, you know, 20 minutes away from uh, downtown Seattle. Mm -hmm. And the protest, it first started out, you know, just around the uh, downtown neighborhood, around uh, Capitol Hill, uh, you know, the famous place that the protests just took over. And then I think mm -hmm. maybe two weeks ago, they were, you know, uh, they surrendered and they gave up the place. But now, uh, like in the mornings around ten o'clock, there's protests right in front of my house. You know, there's hmm. there's cars going by. You know, beeping, and this is the streets in front of my house are you know one ways, right? It's not like a big street, and right. like there's only houses around. There's not really you know commercial buildings and, and stuff like that. So it's this is really just a, a place where people are living, and the protests right in front of my park, like right in front of my house. There's a park that you know I take my kids to. And around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, people are there. They're, you know, they're uh, protesting and uh, they're, they're trying to raise awareness to what is going on. So change from it, you know, being downtown. I remember a few times uh, having to, you know, drive through downtown on the I-5 and then the whole highway is closed. 
you know, because people are protesting <laughs> and they shut down the, uh, you know, the, the the highway, and you know, they they it's it's a really, I mean, it's it's been going on. I think now, how many days has it been? You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, yeah. maybe like from the, we can say this is since uh, right, you know, right before Ramadan, the protest or right around the time of Ramadan is started and it's still going. Right. You know, so this is really. Um, I feel like the, the, there was a lot of things that you know the reasons why people are coming out, and you know, it started out with uh, you know the killing of uh, George Floyd, mm-hmm. and from there, everybody's already you know stuck inside of their homes. Uh, you know, the government is not responding as fast as, you know, the people would want them to. Then there's mm-hmm. nothing else to do but, you know, go and protest. And it's everywhere in the country. It's not just one place, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to think about how, you know, when you study, when I studied history, both U.S. history as well as uh, world history, mm. there are often these kind of like major events and they, they seem like they shaped there was so much turmoil in a particular time. Mm. And I might have mentioned this before, but I can imagine now, you know, throughout history that even though this great event was taking place, the majority of people were probably sitting in their homes. Yeah. The majority, especially in the past, the majority of people probably never even heard about these things until they read them in a history book or they mm-hmm. read them, you know, the story that someone was telling. Yeah. Uh, today, we kind of, and this example that you're mentioning about Seattle, Today, we're, we're kind of re- recognizing that we have real time, like a lot of information real time. Mm-hmm. So there's, and now it's a matter of who's controlling that narrative. Mm-hmm. So it's still, we can't escape that people are trying to shape the story. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I turn on certain, you know, uh, you know, new cable news stations, their version of what's happening there is very different, even though they're talking about, let's say, the same day and the same exact event that took place, the same people that are involved. Um, and of course, when you're trying to look through social media and social networking content, I think you have that same challenge. So by the way, just just so you know, Imam Fuad, uh, I wanted to welcome Salmat. Salam alaikum, Salmat. How are you, Habibi? Alhamdulillah, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, good to hear your voice. It's been some time. Likewise, wallahi, it's been a long time. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, we'll change it. Inshallah, yeah, looking forward to hosting you when you visit. Inshallah, thanks for joining, Samad. We, we're, we're in the middle of the recording, so you know, jump in and we'll, we'll continue from where we were. Um, so, so what I was, what I was getting at with you, Imam Fuad, was that it seems like the version, like for me, I imagine everybody in Seattle or in your neighborhood is like locked in their homes for fear of. You know, uh, you know, attacks outside their house or some sort of rioting. But of course, um, the news, the images, the the video that come out of there yeah. are are sort of a part of the experience that people are actually having on the ground. Yeah, you you know, uh, you would think that uh, even me watching the news sometimes when I turn it on and I see the things they say about you know Seattle, it's it's really different than how mm-hmm. it really is here. Uh, I'm pretty sure both of you know that, uh, you know, the Chaz or the, the, the Capitol Hill Auto- uh, Autonomous Region that the protesters took over. Mm-hmm. That place, I remember watching the news and it was like, nobody can go to this place. Anybody mm-hmm. goes, you know, this is, uh, you're going to get, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. And mm-hmm. my parents, they live like nine blocks from there, you know, mm-hmm. and not once, like nothing happened. You know, life has been the same. and. Wow. Like we've driven, uh, you know, me and the kids, and whenever we go to my mom's house, 
it's it's right there. Uh, you know, sometimes I get worried. You know, I hear you know the things that are spreading on social media. I would call my parents and I'd say, you know, is everything okay? They're like, there's nothing going on here. You know, we don't hmm. we don't hear the things, we don't see anything, and they live not even nine blocks. I would say maybe seven blocks away from the place. You know, the closest grocery store that they go to is inside that zone. And they're able to go, they're able to, you know, uh, do what they want to do and then go back home without anything happening. Of course, there's, you know, people are, are in the streets and uh, the streets have been painted and uh, the police left the station. But it's mm-hmm. you know, like life is normal. Yeah. You know, the, the question I really wanted to pose to you guys today was the the cause is definitely a just cause, right? Like there is nobody, I haven't heard a single person try to to explain how the cause is not a just cause. Mm-hmm. Um, police brutality is a problem. Uh, racism is a problem. So there's no one out there. And if there are, they, they, they don't have a voice right now. They're not speaking about it publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, if I'm not sure if you guys are experiencing the same thing, but the coverage of it has dwindled down. You know, other issues, of course, COVID has still maintained been the uh, probably the larger uh, covered issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but among among the people and among, uh, you know, the communities um, in all of our neighborhoods, it seems like there are less protests than there were weeks ago or months ago when it first started. And I'm curious from you guys's perspective, what is it um, that might be causing that? And you know, as Muslims or as people who are standing for principles and who are, you know, standing and calling for justice, how do we sustain or what, what should be sustained? You know, what aspect of this should carry forward um, so that we, we do can't say we can't ever step back and say, well, we're OK with the status quo. Mm. Salman, what do you think? I'm I'm here more to listen than uh, than to uh, contribute. Uh, um, yeah, Rashad and I were, were talking about this earlier. Like it's it's um, it's very difficult times to figure out what is the right role we should be playing. Um, you know, civil disobedience and the history of the United States and the role that it has played, and at the same time, walking the fine line between that and proper uh, Islamic etiquette. It's yeah, it's, I'm not sure. You know, I, I the way I see it is, I don't think there's less protests. I feel like there's just less coverage of the of those protests that that you know that are happening. I remember uh, before the protest started, uh, and it, it really blew up. All we heard on the news it was about COVID. This mm-hmm. like every channel you turned to, this is what they were talking about. And then as soon as the protest started, it switched to you know the protest, and you rarely heard anything about COVID. You know, if it wasn't mm-hmm. the, the briefing that the White House was doing, nobody was covering it for the first, you know, couple of weeks of the protests. And then afterwards, all of it went back. We started talking about COVID. Now, rarely you hear about, you know, the protests that are going on. But if you actually mm-hmm. see, you know, like, you know, and, and this is, uh, you know, just to show the power of social media. Majority of the coverage of, of the protests now, they're all on social media. You know, people going live from their personal pages and and you know, sharing what is going on in the protest that is continuing. And then we only hear it when, you know, something bad happens. Uh, I think recently there was a shooting here in Seattle uh, in, in the protest zone or in the autonomous zone. And that was maybe the, like the first time that they put it on. I, before that, they everyone forgot about it. 
even though they yeah, were... the, the the news I recently heard about the autonomous zone or whatever it's called yeah. uh, in Seattle was about the federal agents being sent in to arrest people that had like mass mm-hmm. like like had like hidden cars and like they were using some weird tactics. So yeah, that, I, I, yeah, I think that was much bigger uh, in Portland. Yeah, where they had mm-hmm. like the federal agents come in and just start arresting people. Yeah, and I know you know there was a lawsuit with that, and and they were trying to get rid of the agents. And yeah, it was wild to me that the governor, I think, the governor of the state was like, we don't want these agents yeah. here. I don't know why they came. Yeah, they, they just can't. They really just start arresting people and not, you know, telling them why they were being arrested. And it just made it worse because people are not, you know, this this is you can't control people uh, like this for a long time. You know? mm-hmm. And I think now they've, they've pulled out from uh, from Portland. In Seattle, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't that big, but they did, you know, the, the, the federal agents were here. Uh, you know the the I think uh, you know the coastal guard came and mm-hmm. you know they tried their best to you know calm the protest and uh, you know make it as less damage as possible. But they weren't in the beginning. They weren't able to control it until uh, finally they you know they uh, they went overboard. Uh, the mayor just decided everyone has to leave this place, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know she the 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 police and uh, the coastal guard they came and then they uh, they. You know, everyone had to leave. Now that right. is empty, but there's still protests. You know, people are still coming and, uh, you know, following over there. So I feel like, you know, as our brother Solomon said, it, it's this. We know for a fact, you know, this should not be the end. Protesting is not protesting is not the goal, right? The goal is, you know, through the protest, some changes are going to come. So how do we as Muslims position ourselves where, you know, we are, uh, you know, we're not people that are, you know, satisfied with the status quo. And at the same time, we're not, you know, people that are, uh, you know, leaving our values, our Islamic values for something else, right? Mm-hmm. This is like where we're trying to figure out. And I think it's, it's going to take some time, you know. Uh, let's see what these protests do and uh, what changes are going to be, you know, come out of it. Or if it's just going to be something that, you know, like the, the protests from before, where, you know, you hear about it, you see it, you see these things happening, and then you move on to the next thing in life. You know, without any change really being there. Yeah, that that's and that's really the question I, I'm I'm pondering, and I feel like is an important question for us to be asking mm-hmm. ourselves. And to be honest, you know, uh, history books are full of events that took place where groups of people wanted to see a change in their society, and this spans across, you know any type of religion or ideology or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So that type of change, you know, it, it, it took time for that change to, to, to occur. And it was difficult, especially when the, the, the greater the change you're calling for, um, the more pushback, the more, uh, you know, response you get from the, the status quo or the side that's maintaining it. And especially when it's a change against injustice, of course, from, from our history, our understanding, of, from Revelation as well, that we know, for example, Musa salam, or even Ibrahim salam. Sometimes I think about these stories we hear, like we're we're, we're just coming through this uh, this phase of uh, or this time period of Hajj, 
And Ibrahim Alayhi Salam, I mean, he, for years, he struggled against mm. the injustices of his society. And uh, yeah, as a young person, as a, as a family man, later in his life, and the response that he got from people was that that backlash that always that always came about because people were trying to maintain um, an unjust system or an oppressive system that they were benefiting from. But we don't even have to go that far back. We can look at um, what subject that many of us might have been paying attention to look at um, what was called the Arab Spring. Mm. And you have a number of countries they didn't protest for days or weeks or months. I mean, now it's been years and the different phases that it went through in, in different places and some successes, some failures. So I'm, I'm really trying to think this issue of police brutality. It, I don't think it's possible for us to ever. Uh, and now I don't know if you guys have heard um, on Democracy Now!, they highlighted several other cases. There's another man who was killed in almost exactly the same way, um, uh, you know, as the way he was, he, he was actually in a prison and he was uh, pinned down by the guards and he was yelling, saying he can't breathe, was calling for his mother and, you know, died in that case. And I think there's more body cam footage about how George Floyd himself was treated. The other body cam footage was revealed, yeah. released uh, from the other officers. It, it's such a, it happens so often that it's surprising that it's it's an issue that has existed for you know far longer than just this year and so i'm wondering <clears throat> what what are some thoughts that you guys might have that might be a motivation for for individuals not only to to make dua for this change because that's where we start with that right we want to we want to change something we start with like hating it in our heart but uh, to practically support the efforts that are taking place I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I've, I've been thinking a lot about consistency and how the Prophet taught us that the most beloved deed to Allah is that which is consistent. So I'm thinking about what are the things I can be doing consistently on a, on a week in, week out, month in, month out basis to be contributing towards this cause, this movement. That is what's been on top of my mind and prioritizing that and making that part of my lifestyle. Make like not not just doing one one off things here or there. Like yes, in the moment of need, there there needs to be a presence shown. But when everyone's back and you know after that presence is shown, who's going to do the work? Who's gonna who's gonna you know? It's it's not just about that one moment. And I think that's 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 the, that's the unfortunate thing, especially being in an election year. We always every single time elections come around, we always say this is the moment for us to go vote and then make a presence shown, make our presence known. But then at that point, like right after that, what happens? Everyone just goes back to their normal routine. There's no consistency after that. We show up once every four years and that's it. Like that's all That's all that we need to do. So that's, what, that's what's on my top of my mind. Yeah, subhanAllah. I think um, we need to be more, uh, you know, organized. Like if we continue just doing what we're doing, you know, every election year, go and say, you know, uh, rally everyone up to go and vote. And then that's all we do. Then things are going to stay the same. You know, uh, nothing's going to change. But me personally, I think, you know, of course, making dua that, you know, these things do change and uh, people don't suffer. Because anybody suffering in this dunya, it is, uh, at the end of the day, these are, you know, the Bani Adam. These are the children of Adam. And we share that, you know, bond of humanity with them. And any injustice anywhere, of course, is going to hurt us. Um, but I think one of the things that we 
like individually we have to do is we have to you know learn the history of the of, of you know, the African Americans. Um, a lot of us would not be here doing the things that we do if it wasn't you know for the sacrifices that they made and they continue to make, right? And then like we have to you know learn about these struggles so that one we know what's happening to them, what has been happening to them. And then from there, you can say, okay, you know, this is something that I know about. This is something that, you know, I care about. Now, let me try to help them and change what is happening, right? Because of all of the things that they've done, let us, you know, try to be with them when they're struggling so that we can, you know, uplift these people. But the first thing before you're able to do that, you have to learn. You know, you have to realize, uh, you know, the, the hundreds of years of, you know, sacrifice that they've made and, and the struggles that they've went through. To this day, they're struggling. And alhamdulillah, you know, for a majority of our communities, we don't face these struggles that they face, right? How, how often do you hear uh, someone that's from, uh, you know, a Muslim country or from a, a refugee from a Muslim land that was killed at the hands of a police officer, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's like, it's not, alhamdulillah, it's, you know, it, it's not something that is very common. But for them, this is how many people have died since, you know, George Floyd that we have not heard about that we're going to hear about maybe next year. You know, when the footage are, are released, how many people, you know, are, are being killed and nobody knows. But we have to somehow, you know, educate ourselves and then, you know, raise the awareness after that. And again, it has to be something that, you know, uh, there's consistency behind it. And then change is slowly going to come. That's how mm. I think about it. Yeah, this is, uh, that's the difficult part to, um, and I was listening that podcast that I mentioned that I was listening to. Mm -hmm. uh, he highlighted something from a uh, like a secular perspective that we often um, there are certain things that we need to do now. Mm. And we, it, this is actually he was speaking about like human psychology and human biology. Mm. Uh, oftentimes we are we are looking we are doing things because of the um, the the anticipation of the reward. And the reward itself isn't necessarily um, doesn't have the same gratification as the anticipation leading up to it. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll post that um, that reference that I have to the podcast. But, you know, from the from the teachings or from the lessons that I've heard uh, from the, the prophets and, and uh, the, the Islamic context that oftentimes, you know, we should be we should be building now, um, putting the groundwork in place for the generations after us that will continue to strive for these uh, issues of justice and fairness and, and, uh, and to bring about positive change. It might not be in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And there's so many beautiful examples of that. Um, I wanted to take just uh, the last few minutes. And, and I, th I know this is, we've touched on a couple of different issues that have come up, mm -hmm. but I, I wanted to use just a few minutes to take, to get you guys' thoughts um, or reflections on this month, uh, this month of Hajj, uh, the you know, I think many of us might have seen the image or the video of the um, the various Hajjaj that were at Mecca. I think there might have been thousands or some number like that, but you could see the circles uh, in which they were organized and you know performing Tawaf. But just curious to hear you guys' reflections and thoughts on you know, what this year was like, you know, we might have not, we might not have participated in Hajj, but what was, what were your reflections about it this year? Someone. I, I, I got, I got to let you go first. I'm on I, I think, um, 
this year, uh, I, the first time that I saw, you know, the, the, the tawaf that was happening and, you know, the way that it was organized and then seeing the jamarat and, you know, the, the, the stoning that was happening with the, with the pebbles, I was really shocked, right? This is not something that, you know, even going up to, you know, the Hajj announcement, they took, you know, their time in telling us that Hajj was canceled. It wasn't something that, you know, they gave us time and told us, you know, months away from it, there's not going to be Hajj. Only these people are going to perform Hajj. But it happened, you know, very close to the time. So we, we didn't, like, we still had hope that even though with everything that is going on, we might, you know, Hajj might still be the way that it was. But then when they made the announcement and then seeing, you know, how organized the place was and how they handled, uh, you know, Hajj and those people that, you know, Allah blessed, you know, to truly be there and perform Hajj, you know, th- th- that time of jealousy came, you know, that feeling of jealousy. Where it's subhanallah, you know, why couldn't I have been, you know, from those people that are performing hajj? And then at the same time, uh, you know, it made me really realize that going to hajj, it, it's an honor, right? This is an invitation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine if, you know, for right now, this looks like the normal. That maybe next year, corona is not going to be away. COVID is still going to be around. And only the people that are living there are going to go to hajj. So what happens to all those people that, you know, had been planning to one day go to that place? And now, you know, this is the reality. Nobody else can come. You know, so it's it's it was very strange seeing, you know, uh, Alhamdulillah, I went to Hajj last year. And seeing the way that it was organized, I did not think that, uh, you know, they would be able to organize it like that. And then everyone, you know, has their circles, uh, where they're going, where they're standing. So organized, subhanAllah. Hmm. Yeah, subhanAllah, I was, I was going to share, my wife and I, earlier this year, we have never been for Umrah or Hajj. We made the niyyah in January to actually go for Hajj this year. Allah, Allah. We even gave the deposit. Yeah. We were ready. Like, we had the niyyah, we had the intention, we had the finances planned out. We were putting away money every single month to make sure we were able to do it. We mm-hmm. gave the deposit, and then subhanAllah found out, you know, started hearing rumors, oh, it's going to be canceled. And found out the actual news, oh, it's canceled. So, uh, you know, we're able to, you know... We're able to get our, you know, our, our deposit back and everything. But it made me reflect how, you know, I've, I've heard this from my elders. And at the time, I did not understand it as a young, as a young kid. Yeah. You do not go for Hajj and Umrah. Allah sends you the invitation. That's and it wasn't written for us. Like we had the niyyah and the intention and the finances to do it. But it wasn't written for us this year. And um, COVID, all, like the communal aspect of, of, of Islam, the communal aspect of our worship, even praying on a Jum'ah, Friday to Friday, mm-hmm. I think a lot about like how that has had an impact on me not being able to pray Jum'ah. Uh, that communal aspect being taken away in this moment, I feel like, uh, I feel like Allah SWT is testing us in a way for us to realize that it, that the, the sweetness of it. That you like. I feel like after all of this is over and we go back, people will have a better appreciation of, of things yeah. uh, for that communal aspect. I hope, inshallah, we, we, we will have uh, that appreciation for it. Yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. No, go ahead, Rashad. No, sorry. I was just going to say on, on that point, you know, the, the two things that I highlighted was one, the, the one you said, Sarmat, it's this, this organized and, and community aspect of, uh, uh, of Hajj is something that I think we often – we don't recognize because we don't live in a time where Hajj is, uh, is considered uh, like we're not a unified um, Muslim Ummah in the sense of like structurally. Our, our hearts, I know uh, for those that are 
their hearts are our hearts are always connected mm-hmm. but uh the the time period that we're in i think is unique it's different from any other time in history um so so we don't recognize that com- that component of how important hajj is yeah. but also for for those who have been i think sometimes we lose sight of the the special experience of hajj like none of it, it is one of the five pillars mm-hmm. and none of the other ibadah have the same place component so everything else has like a time component or organized individual community aspect of it but none of them have a specific place on the earth you know like there's one place on the earth where you can do this hajj there's no virtual hajj there's no <laughs> you know like there's no some other place that can compete with uh with uh, mecca and the kaaba mm-hmm. so this is something I think we overlook because we live in a we live in a world, and probably um, you know America might be more of an example of this. When you when you live in a place that's newer, mm-hmm. you don't see the value of like the quote unquote ancient mm-hmm. or or the history of a place. Mm-hmm. For those who have the opportunity to travel, you start to see that oh wow, you know there are places that have history. There's like this deeper connection that exists, you know, mm-hmm. and of course, this is something unique to um, uh, to the Hajj itself for when it comes to our ibadah. But um, but I'm happy that you that, that you guys highlighted these points. I feel like if you guys don't mind in, in a future conversation, I think we can dive a little bit more into this uh, this particular topic. Only because there are there are many more lessons from Hajj that apply to our lives today. And from the story of Ibrahim mm-hmm. that we often we often overlook or we don't spend enough time reconnecting with. And that personally, I really feel like there are many lessons relevant to our time and place in our current events mm-hmm. that we're often not reflecting on because we, you know, we're 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 not getting the time to. So I, I'd love to to continue this conversation next time as well. You had something you wanted to say, Imam Fuad? Yeah, um, alhamdulillah, you know, you raised some very good points. Uh, the thing that I wanted to say was, you know, you don't realize uh, how wise uh, the Prophet wasallam was, or even, you know, how perfect this deen of ours is. Right now, uh, for the past couple of months, majority of us have been praying inside of our homes. We had mm-hmm. to do our fasting, you know, only with our families. Uh, the days of Dhul Hijjah, we had to spend it with our families. And, you know, our religion being, you know, having the flexibility for us, you know, in these times of crisis, when these things are happening, to still be able, you know, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to, you know, fast during the month of Ramadan, do the things that you're doing for, uh, you know, Dhul Hijjah, even, you know, the Udhiyah or the Qurbani that you're sacrificing, still being able to do it when the world is like this, you know, it really shows you that, you know, the, <laughs> Perfection of this deen that we have, that it doesn't matter where you are, the salah is still there, that connection uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still there, even if everything else is cut off. You know, imagine, mm-hmm. you know, how many of us were unable to visit our family members, you know, uh, those that had, you know, uh, grandparents that they couldn't go to because of what was going on, but they could still, you know, go and, you know, uh, have this connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, this has been something that I've been thinking about, you know, how. Alhamdulillah, you know, Allah has, you know, guided us to this deen and, and, and the perfection of this deen that, you know, we're able to do all of these things. And, you know, to our brother Sarmat, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you uh, and your wife uh, with a complete hajj, allow you to, you know, go next year and the years that go after, you know, and, and you know, may Allah accept your intentions uh, for this year and still reward you. Because we know that, you know, our deeds are judged by uh, our intentions. 
you know, during during the Battle of Tabuk, the Prophet he looked at the companions and he told them, you know, there's a there's a group of people in Medina that have not went through any valleys with you, that have not crossed any rivers with you, but they are going to share in the same reward as you. Everything that you have gotten, they're going to get. And then uh, they asked them, you know, the, why are they getting these rewards? And then the Prophet ﷺ, he said, you know, they intended to come to this place and to partake in this battle, but they had, you know, excuses that, you know, kept them behind. And they were kept behind, but the reward is there. So for you and your wife, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, reward you as if you went to Hajj. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive you and your wife all of the mistakes that you have been forgiven on the day of Arafah. I mean, <laughs> and it's it's funny that uh, as you talk about that in the current climate of, of politics, everyone really um, there's a lot of talk about socialism and the idea that you know, everyone should get you know a fair share and equality and whatnot. And Subhanallah, we have in the the beautiful the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, even for the people who didn't go, yeah. <laughs> who sat, you know, they get that they get that same reward. You know, he's. Yeah. he's it, of course, um, but in a more practical sense, I think that's um, it, it's it, in hindsight, I think to myself, I could have made the intention and really made a sincere effort as well, mm-hmm. but I didn't, you know, and so that's something that says something about myself. And I, the reason I mentioned this is because to Sarmad's point, you know, are we yearning for the Juma again? You know, are we yearning to 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 return to sort of the, the, the modus operandum or the status quo, at least in a, in a positive sense with our, our practice in Islam um, or in our ibadah and our community experience, our ability to visit our family again. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good check be- because the things that Allah loves for us, do we love those things as well? Mm-hmm. And if we truly do, then we would miss them. And it's a question for myself first and foremost, you know, I'm asking myself in my own heart, you know, what are the things that I'm really missing uh, from the things that have changed in my life? So um, if you guys don't mind, inshallah, we'll, we'll close here. We'll stop here, inshallah. And uh, we definitely will, will continue. I think we have a lot of really interesting topics. And I hope, as you guys mentioned, the history about uh, not only uh, black, uh, uh, black people in America, African-Americans, but the history of Muslim, uh, black Muslims in America is a very deep history. And I'm Sundiyad al-Rashid. I've spoken to him. Inshallah, he'll be joining us at some point. Mm. He's been touching on some incredible uh, content material tying the Moors and the time, the, the, the Muslims that lived in Portugal and Spain, the early people that came here. So it's very fascinating, the information that he's kind of uh, bringing up in, in different topics, things that most of us don't hear about. They're not taught in your average uh, history textbook. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll look out for you know more opportunities and we'll be hopefully keeping up this uh, on a more regular basis. So Jazakallah Khair again, Sarmaj, for joining us. Um, welcome to the first official, you know, your first official, I guess, podcast. But yeah. um, Imam Farad, it was great again. And well, if you don't mind, you could close us out with dua. Uh, inshallah. Um, before we uh, we do the dua, just a reminder, we are still in the month of Dhul Hijjah. This is, you know, one of the sacred months of Islam. So let's try our best to, uh, you know, increase in the dua that we make and increase in the actions that we do. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of our actions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ease all of our affairs. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us good in this dunya and the akhirah and protect us from harm. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us and the ummah with, you know, returning back to Islam uh, in the best way of returning. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to go and perform hajj in the years that are coming. 
one year after the other, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala invite us back to his house. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ease all of our affairs. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate us in this dunya and the akhirah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reunite every single one of us on the day of judgment in the company of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enter us into Jannatul Firdaus al-A'la. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those that are forgiven for all of their sins while they're in this dunya and they face no punishment in the grave nor on the day of standing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant those that we love what you know what, what he loves for them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive those that we have harmed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward those that have done good to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and give us health. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.